Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Before you hop on and listen to Shannon's episode, I wanted to put in a trigger warning. We do talk about sexual assault, trauma, and um, PTSD and suicide. So just to warn you before you hop on so that you're emotionally prepared to listen, we don't really go into graphic details, but we do mention it. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Shannon. Shannon is a poet, holistic counselor, meditation instructor, and artist who uses her voice to help others find their own. She speaks openly about her journey in overcoming CPTSD, childhood trauma, and assault. In doing so, it is her hope that others will find light on the other side of their darkness, face their trauma, and begin to live lives intended for them. Well, you know, trauma is like my middle name. So (laughs) I'm like, I talk to my therapist and I'm like, you know, talking as if she knows the things I'm talking about. And she's like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, we haven't covered this yet. Okay. Well, buckle up. (laughs) Yeah. We're in for a ride here. Um, And then I have friends that I, I was, I was talking to my best friend about the same thing I was talking to my counselor about. And she was like, you've never told me this. I'm like, oh, there's just so much to tell people. (laughs) We don't often talk about those deeply hidden dark things because society's conditioned us not to. So we press it down we hide it all. And then one day it just kind of comes up in conversation and catches people off guard, like a lot off guard. Absolutely. So I'd love for you to share a little, share with us about your story of trauma Um, and then we can talk about CPTSD. We've talked about it before on the podcast and I'll link that episode because, you know, everybody's story is different. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, trauma, it can do damage to us all, like, and certainly in different ways. So I'd love for you to share your story. Um, well, thank you for having me here and, and having this platform and the ability to share the story, because if one person hears it, and they get on their journey of healing what's Mm. deeply hidden within themselves, that's what matters. That's what the goal is. Um, My trauma history goes back to when I was eight years old, the first time that I was assaulted, Um, and really continues until I was about 36, sitting on a marriage counselor's couch with my husband, really working on like communication and, and how to better understand each other and how to speak love languages and all that kind of stuff. Right. And she turned to me and said, you know, you have PTSD, right? And there was a lot of like chaotic stuff going on, a lot of triggering clients. I was a doula at the time. So a lot of like high risk, high stress type situations with clients. And the overarching trauma is, um, death. So my dad passed away in 2005 um, from a heart attack, very chaotic, very traumatic. And I was kind of the one in the family that was left to pick up the pieces, to plan the funeral, to call family, all of that kind of thing when he was my primary parent. 
Mm-hmm. Growing up, I didn't really have, I had both in physical sense, um, but my mom was actually in a car accident with me when she was five months pregnant. And oh, as wow. a result of brain injury, has she has lived a life of um, amnesia and memory loss and really um, an incapacity to be able to express compassion and that nurturing. Yeah. So things like getting my period for the first time was traumatic because I didn't have somebody there to help lead me through it. It was shamed. It was looked down on. It was internalized in these really deep seated body dysmorphia type feelings that I had about myself because I didn't have somebody there. So when my dad passed away, I felt like my whole life was gone. My family Mm. was gone. I had been abused. Um, between the ages of eight and 14 by my sibling, um, sexually, verbally, physically. When I was 14 was the last time that he hit me and I actually fought back Mm. and walked away and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, I don't deserve for this to happen anymore. Right. So it's been, and, and I found growing up like in high school relationships with boys were, not positive, healthy relationships. I I was the brunt of a prom date bet to see if I would have a sexual experience with somebody on prom night. Yeah. Like shitty stuff like that. Right. Uh, I was a part of a bet. I had this boyfriend, um, what was it? Seventh grade. And, um, I thought it was, I thought we were having a great relationship. I thought it was great. And then he breaks up with me out of nowhere. And I'm like, what? And one of his friends stopped me in the hallway and was like, yeah, we, we bet to see how far he could get you to go. Same. Um, you were just a bet. He didn't really yep. like you. And I'm like, I was traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like what? I thought I was, I thought like, this was the, one of the cutest boys in my class. Like, yep. I'm like, I thought I was doing well. And then I'm like, I was a bet. <laughs> like, it Why feels so gross. I still remember the song that was playing when he called to break up with me. I still remember it. <sighs> and then like going through like the bar days in my early twenties and kind mm-hmm. of being like the wing woman to a friend and getting passed off to whatever friend of the yeah. guy she was with and pretending to sleep on the couch, getting assaulted things like that started happening. And as society's conditioned me to do, I pushed it all down. Mm-hmm. I pushed it all away. And then it all came bubbling up in 2010 when I got pregnant for the first time. And I saw my brother for the first time in several years. And it was like those pregnancy hormones just fueled all of the memories to push to right. the surface. And I was like, what is happening with this? Like, I don't recognize any of these things because my brain has fragmented all of the memories and has put up those beautiful yet really not helpful security systems of trying to keep me safe from the trauma. Um, And I just wasn't feeling. And then my dad passed away. And then like, it just, it was just this big chaotic storm And when the therapist looked at us and said, like this, like you're in, you're living in a constant hypervigilant state because of these things that have led you to be constantly hypervigilant all the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, 
this makes so much sense. This is why I had post-traumatic or um, postpartum depression. This is why I had these really triggered rage tendencies after I had my kids. Mm. This is why when a client is hemorrhaging, I go into like hyper mode and feel like I need to save everybody in this situation, knowing that it's not my responsibility to have to save everyone because I couldn't save myself and I couldn't save my dad. So it's, it was, it, it took somebody really sitting down and getting to know how my husband and I interact with each other, read our language, figure out how we speak and all that kind of stuff to recognize it. And as soon as she did, it was like this weight just lifted off of my chest and I could go down the path of actually getting help. Yeah. Uh, a lot of your story, I'm like, yep, yep, I feel you. <laughs> I was a bar fly too, often was um, the wing woman for mm-hmm. my friend. She's definitely the prettier friend and all the guys attracted to her. And I just kind of got the the yep. friends. I, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the song, oh, is it Big Fat Friend? Uh, by, I have it on my phone. I'm going to, I don't know if you've ever heard it. I don't think I can play it on the podcast because I'll probably get like copyrighted. (laughs) I'm going to tell people what it, what it is uh, so that uh, they can go listen to it because I'm like, this was my, my song uh, growing up. Maybe Big Fat Friend is not the the title of it. But yeah, there was this song, it was by uh, a comedian and I know I downloaded it because I was like, that, that's my song, right? That, that's my jam. <laughs> they were all about it. Uh, but anyways, I'll, I'll look it up. And uh, I was just like, I was always that, that, that friend, mm-hmm. you know, I was always that friend that took one for the team. Yeah. You got a smile. That's the name of it by Stephen Lynch. So anybody wants to, I'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, uh, that was, that was definitely my song. And I, like you, uh, actually brought in a lot of really crappy relationships because I feel like when you're somebody who's gone through trauma as a child, you don't know how to love. You don't know how relationships look like, right? Yeah, yeah. When I got together with my husband, I tried to push him away so many times. Oh my God, same, same. <laughs> I remember taking off my promise ring and throwing it at a snowbank at one point. I like the peak of everything. I drove away from him to this new like brownstone type thing that we had bought. And I just sat there sobbing, sending him angry text messages. I don't even remember what I was angry about. Because my brain was so fragmented. I just, I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity to be able to accept that love because Mm -hmm. I really, outside of my relationship with my dad, I hadn't really ever had that been nurtured and cultivated in me from the people that are supposed to be my foundation. No, I agree. It was the, it was the same thing for me. So actually the night I got uh, engaged, I was laying in bed, sobbing, saying, I don't deserve you. And you need to go back to Virginia. I don't deserve you. And I look over and this man is on bended knee with an open (laughs) ring box. And I'm like, are you proposing to me right now? And he's like, yeah, I love you. I don't want to go anywhere. And we've been married for almost 10 years now. And I will tell you the first 
five years, I tried to push him away so many times. I sat there on our fifth anniversary, we were out to dinner and I'm like, I don't know how you didn't divorce me. And he was like, I never thought of it. And I was like, I thought about, about it like all the time. <laughs> like yeah. you have no idea. Like I thought about it all the time. Um, and it's just now after like 10 years, I'm like, maybe I do deserve him. Like maybe mm-hmm. that is a thing. Um, Cause most people that listen to the podcast know trigger warning. Um, I tried to commit suicide in 2013 and he was mm-hmm. like, you need to see a therapist. He was like, if you still feel like this, you know, ne- a year from now after being mm-hmm. in therapy, I'll let you do it. He's like, I want, he was full of shit, but <laughs> he's like, I'll let you do it. I won't stand in your way. Um, but that like, that was after three years of marriage and he, I have him to thank for getting yeah. into therapy. You know, you have the saying you went to, you know, therapy with your husband and yeah. that's where these things came out. Yeah. And then once, so once, um, once she really looked at me and was like, hello, here's a mirror. This is what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm the type of person that I like to know all of the things. So I go down the rabbit hole of Google and I research and I, my brain works really well with visuals. So Mm -hmm. Pinterest is great for doing research and kind of figuring out, okay, what is, PTSD. And is it more than that? Because it's not just like one isolated event that's happened. It's a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So I found out that there's this thing called complex PTSD, that it's all of the layers of all of the things and all of the stuff. And I started doing research about um, alternative remedies because my primary abuser, my, my sibling, Um, is also a drug addict. And I know that there is bipolar in our family. I know that there's drug and substance abuse issues in our family. So I didn't quite want to go there and potentially compromise my own health or really make it a lot more disastrous than what it needed to be and not helpful with pharmaceutical stuff. And I found that um, acupuncture is the word I'm looking for. Acupuncture, there's certain trigger points in your ears that correspond to the trauma center of your brain. And they wow. used it with war veterans. Oh, gotcha. So I'm like, okay, that's a pretty significant PTSD, like kind of the classical one that everybody thinks about when you think about PTSD. Right. So I found a naturopath that treats mental health um, as her specialty who does the acupuncture and whatnot. And I went all in. I went all in and I said, let's do all the things, let's figure it out. Um, And once we were able to calm down the anxiety, the depression, the hypervigilance and paranoia, the rage, um, I was able to then start with a psychologist. And my life changed in probably, I think it was eight or nine months that I was working with the two of them. And I'm a completely different human being. There was one point. It was the June that I was seeing them both. And I looked at my husband. I'm like, I feel like a different person. He's like, Oh, you're completely different. We can have a conversation and you don't just jump to emotional responses right away. Like we can actually break down something, have a rational conversation over something really minute, like going out for dinner. It doesn't have to inspire this like rage cycle or going to a big event used to be really triggering to me of like, how am I going to do my hair? How am I going to do my makeup? Do I have enough time to get ready? Like all of those things, who's going to be there and who's going to see me? And are they going to see that I'm actually really broken? Mm -hmm. But if I do all the things and make myself look pretty, 
maybe they won't. So I needed to hire the people to come in and like, it just, it became this big chaotic storm every single time. And then he noticed that there was an event coming up and I was like, oh no, it's fine. I'll do my own hair. It's not a big deal. And he's like, what? (laughs) You're actually going to just do it? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it's not hard. I'm just going to do like a sleek low pony and it'll be fine. And he's like, and you're not freaking out about that. Like that's a big milestone to somebody who's led this life of being triggered all the time. So we started noticing that, that things really, really shifted. And it's, I'm a couple of years removed now from the trauma and the therapy and whatnot. And I'm like the most beautiful life has opened up and unfolded that I didn't even know was out there for me. Like, I feel like I'm meeting myself for the first time. Mm. It's not the me that was so deeply attached and, and associated with the traumas. It's just me. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I still have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I was talking to my therapist about that. I'm like, oh, I think I still have lots of work to do. Thanks. Thanks for approving that. <laughs> um, but you're talking about bipolar. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And when yeah. they started me on my mood stabilizers, um, my, I was like a completely different person. I've had, I've had struggles since then. It was February of last year that I was diagnosed. Like they've had to adjust medications mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I'm like, oh shit, you mean I can live a life where I'm not depressed all the time and I can live a life where I'm not irritable all the time. Mm -hmm. Now I still have to work through some of the trauma, but I've done a lot of work on that. So like a lot of things don't trigger me anymore. Like sexual abuse as a child, you know, um, my abusive relationship with my ex, like things like that, that Mm -hmm. I've worked through that I'm like, I can think about those things without getting like all emotional, but I was like you too. Like my husband would try to have a conversation with me and I would get so defensive, like just switch trigger like immediately. And he's like, I'm just trying to have a conversation with you. I'm just trying to give you some feedback on something. And I'm just suddenly like, no, I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't talk to me like that. It's not like it's, it's that piece in our brain that's like anticipating the trauma or anticipating mm-hmm. the hurt that automatically just goes into defense mode. Right. And like, you can't, you can't have like a rational relationship with anybody when that's your fail safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness for our husbands, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sticking gosh, through yeah. it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you're, you're saints. Thanks. <laughs> Honestly, I said to, um, I said to my husband a couple of days ago at bedtime, I'm like 12 years, eh? Cause we just celebrated our 12th year married 16 together. And I'm like, we've been through like what most people would go through in their entire relationship in a mm-hmm. very short period of time. Oh, yeah. And he's like, well, I mean, yeah, like we've been through some stuff, like totally <laughs> downplays it. And I'm like, uh, We've been through my trauma. We've been through my dad passing away, postpartum psychosis, um, miscarriage, fertility issues, losing jobs, new jobs, moving, kid, kid kids. Oh my God, kids. I know. Um, yeah, I have no, four. <laughs> oh, I only have two and I feel like I have 12. Um, <laughs> I love them. They're great. Um like we've been through so much in such a short period of time, throw in a pandemic. Why not? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I feel and, you. I mean, my like, husband's job yeah. took him away during the pandemic. So 
he's gone. We have a pandemic. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Throw in a pandemic there where you're trying, you've been through all these things and you're like, I'm just trying to stay stable. I'm yeah. Stay stable right now. Yeah. And I'm, I, I've, it's been interesting, especially in the pandemic. Cause I thought, Oh God, I'm going to be the one who's super triggered all the time. Like this right. is a big thing. It could have totally completely reversed so much of the work that I've done. Right. Um, but I think because of the type of therapy that I chose to do with my psychologist, it really, really, really deeply healed up those trauma fragments and whatnot that, um, I wasn't triggered. I had a couple, probably four or five days the entire time since March. So a hundred, 183 days, if anyone's counting as of <laughs> September 14th. Um, but I've only had maybe a handful of days where it just, it was just too much and too overwhelming, but not triggered, not. And I think anybody who has like a mental health concern or diagnosis or anything, they get that there's a difference between being triggered and just feeling overwhelmed and like you need, you need to be able to go to the store without your children. Right. Or for me where I'm like, I just need a break, but you can't, yeah. I couldn't take a break. You can't, I couldn't leave the freaking house. <laughs> you know, yeah. when everything shut down and I'm like, my husband's not home. I'm dealing with a pandemic. These kids are fucking learning from school or from home <laughs> and all these things. I'm just like, oh, I'm overwhelmed, but I can't leave the house. Like yeah. I did and eventually like start hanging out with just like one or two friends. Yeah. But one of my friends has kids too. And I'm like, I can't get a kid free break. Go into your house. (laughs) Not that I have an issue with her kid. It's just like, sometimes you just want to go and be by yourself and not like, so kids are a lot. And when you're home all day, every day, we're just like, I just need to get out of this house. Oh yeah. And for me, yes, there were, I think there was, there was a, a, one time that I got severely depressed and they had to increase my medication, mm-hmm. but I'm still not even up to the dose that a lot of people with bipolar, I have bipolar type two. A mm-hmm. lot of people with my diagnosis are on 200 milligrams and I'm only on 150. Okay. So increasing that was not really like, oh my gosh, I've gone to like a really high right, dosage. Right. It's still a relatively low dosage. Um, but yeah, I started to spiral and I told my psychiatrist and he was just like, okay, well, you're on a really low dosage of your medication. Let's up it just a little bit and see how you do. And I've been doing a lot better. So I'm just like, there's like, you know, there's a lot of things I can do. And and I've said this on the podcast before, everybody's different on what's going to work for them. Yes, absolutely. And I've tried so many things to where I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm in therapy and I'm doing all these things, but if there's like a chemical imbalance in my brain, you yes. know, there's really not much I can do about no. that. Just give no. me the, the stuff that's going to help. But I also yeah. have a family history like you of bipolar disorder where mm-hmm. I can't, I can't diagnose my parents and they've never been officially diagnosed, but one or both of them is bipolar. Right. So, you know, I know that there is this history of that. Um, so I feel you like there is definitely a difference between being triggered and just feeling like, this is too much right now. Yes. And even people who have never experienced a mental health problem are experiencing that right now because it's oh, a collective absolutely. trauma. We're all going absolutely. through this wild ride. Yeah. We've been in uh, family therapy for the past, I think eight, nine weeks or so with our six-year-olds because he's been 
showing so many like emotional regulation issues Mm -hmm. and like his own little cycle of grief and whatnot, but kind of in like a really combative, defiant way that is going to make Mm -hmm. him a really great leader when he is older. I just want him to listen to me now. Yeah. Um, And I'm like, oh my God, does he have like oppositional defiance disorder? Like what is happening? Like he's, it's no all the time. It's this, it's this. And working with a a therapist for him and us understanding the type of language he needs to hear to feel validated, feel safe. It's a grief cycle with him. He was forcibly picked up from the bus stop back in March, brought home, and he hasn't seen his friends since then. Right. And where we are um, with our, the way our school year works, I totaled it up the other day. They've actually been off the entire, the, the total number of days equal an entire school year. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is yeah. so much. My kids just started back to school September 1st. They're doing a hybrid. So they're in class okay. for two days, half the students, yep. and then they're a virtual three days. And right. then the other two, I live in, in Connecticut and I'm assuming you live in Canada. I do. Because your accent. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm from like the tippy tippy top of New York near Cornwall. Okay. So like sometimes I speak and my friends are like, you have a little bit of a Canadian accent. And I'm like, oh. you elongate your A's a little bit probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, or when I say mom, mom, that's one of the, <laughs> they're like, that's it. That's one of the words you say. <laughs> so I, I recognized it. Um, so Canada's doing a lot better than the United States. We could just put that out there. Um, but yeah, I live in Connecticut and Connecticut is like doing one of the best states doing like yeah. right now in the United yeah. States. Uh, we actually w- have what I call the Connecticut shit list. So it is states that can't come to Connecticut unless they quarantine for 14 days when they get, right. yeah. when they get a thousand our, fine. Some of our Eastern provinces are like that too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there is only like, like 10 maybe states that aren't on the shit list. <laughs> so. Um, Connecticut's doing really well. That's, that was the moral of the story. So the hybrid option I felt comfortable with because we're doing Mm -hmm. good. A lot of days we don't even have any COVID deaths. Our um, rate for COVID cases is less than 1% of the tests that we get back. Right. So I was like, well, let's try this and see how it goes. And I like the, the hybrid because like, then if there's a, a, like an outbreak, you can shut down just that cohort that test the teacher. And then if they are okay, they right. the other half, you know, we don't have to shut down the whole school. Right. Uh, which is, it, you know, it was traumatic for my kids. I have four, um, three are living with me now. The one moved up with her dad recently, but, um, the ones that are still here are 17 year old and two nine year olds. Mm. And, uh, the 17 year old did not do well with a virtual, but I was telling you before we started this, that I had to switch her to virtual because her high school was not enforcing the rules. And I'm yeah. like, no, she wasn't comfortable. I'm not comfortable with that. So, but the elementary school is doing great. Um, but my girl twin, I have boy girl twins, uh, Adrina, she was not doing well with virtual. Like, and she's not. The, the days that they're here, she's mm-hmm. tears and she's just like, this is so awful. And she's not, she's like her mom. She yeah. doesn't like online learning. So I understand like the 
the kids, this is a lot for them. It is. It's a lot. And my son just got uh, diagnosed with ADHD. So like, we're trying oh. to like get him to like, yeah, you know, not, he was having explosive anger episodes, which he's had for years. So it definitely wasn't the pandemic, yeah. but the pandemic upped them pretty. Yeah. Soon. So the kids are just, you know, they're suffering so bad. And, and I said to my friend, there's no right option, right? There's not. They go full in person. Now there's COVID risk. Maybe their, their friends get really sick. Maybe their friends die. Mm -hmm. That's going to be like very traumatic. You do the hybrid option. You're still having this risk. And then also kids doing uh, virtual learning, which is some of them don't do well with, and they're not seeing their friends as much. And then you do all in online, which is great. It's very safe. But now the kids aren't seeing their friends and they aren't. The isolation piece. Isolation. Yeah. There's so much. Um, So I get it. I I totally get it. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to navigate. Um, I have found that my own mental health has really given me an intense amount of empathy for my kids Mm -hmm. and in what they're experiencing. And it's, it's allowing us to have, a lot more mature conversations around mental health in our own home and a lot more openly in our own home. Um, And even with like generations above us with, with my husband's family and his parents and even his, his lovely 92 year old grandmother that lives in Montreal explaining to her like, Hey, when you go and play bridge with your friends, please make sure you're staying safe. And this is why, because we want to spend time with you when you come to Ontario and right. things like that. And, and just really trying to get everybody on the same page, but really hammering home that right now, everybody just needs the emotional and mental nurturing and like the cognitive stuff, their schooling stuff, whatever, it'll be fine. Right. They'll, they'll catch up. How to, like, they'll catch up. Like it's not yeah. a big deal. Nobody's really going to suffer that way. Yeah. But it's it's the mental and the emotional pieces for us in our own home, anyways. Um, that we're seeing as as the big benefit of going back. We've got two mm-hmm. more days of this extended March break, and then they are going back full time. Oh, great! Today. Yeah. Um, We'll see. And we'll see how it goes. It might change in two weeks. It might change right. in four days. I have no idea, but it we're just all the time, right? We're just, we're just going to go with it and do the best that we can with what we have and really try to lead by example with our kids in that having these emotional talks and these bigger things and, and it's okay to break down. It's okay right. to have those moments of breaking where it's too much and we can't mm-hmm. handle it. And this is why. So it's, and we've got, so we have a six-year-old and we have a 10-year-old. The 10-year-old is very much like me, um, goes to bed with his essential oil diffuser on. And yeah, I rub essential oils on my feet and my hands. (laughs) And his little like collection of crystals beside his bed and, and all that kind of stuff. He's very, um, intuitive and spiritual, similar to, to how I am. And we will have these really deep conversations about death and dying and what happens after. And, you know, mom, why do you sometimes not feel okay? What happened? So starting to have those conversations with him, because I mean, I was his age when the trauma, when the trauma started happening and when they were really bad. Mm -hmm. And I, I want him to understand 
proper language and how to have those conversations and how to not be afraid of them mm -hmm. so that he doesn't suppress all of that stuff and then come out with a trauma response later. Yeah. I think it's very important for us to have uh, conversations with our kids about mental health. Mm -hmm. Obviously age appropriate. When yes. my kids were toddlers, they wouldn't have understood when I said mommy's depressed. So I would be like right. really sad today. Yes. But now that they're older, um, when my, my son started taking his ADHD medication, I was like, mommy also takes medication mm -hmm. um, because I have what's called bipolar disorder. And then, you know, sometimes I get really depressed. You know, you've seen me where I just stay on the couch and I really don't do anything. And I tell right. you, I'm not feeling good. I'm depressed. I just don't feel like doing anything or functioning as a human. And I was like, and then there's times where mommy has lots and lots of energy and she does right. lots and lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, but my, I mean, with the mood stabilizers, my moods are more stable now. I was like, but I take these medications. So I don't do really, really bad things. During mm -hmm. times. Right. And at nine, they understand that my teenager and I obviously have had some really deep, dark conversations. Right, right. She also was recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So she gotcha. understands, you know, those cycles. Yeah. Talk about it. And I was like, how are the meds going for you? And she said, I feel less irritable. I feel, I feel like calmer and I don't feel like I'm going into depressions. And I was like, yeah. that's, that's important. I was like, that's what it's supposed to do for you. Um, so I, I feel like having those age appropriate conversations. And if I hadn't had those conversations with her when she was younger, she may not have been able to identify what she Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. How do you, how do you word it for, you said um, six-year-old? Six -year yeah. How do you word it for the six-year-old, for any moms listening, maybe? Um, so we talk about big emotions. We actually have this book from Robert Munch called Moods. Okay. And it honestly, it takes like a main character out of some of his more notable stories and assigns a, an emotion to them. Mm -hmm. So happy, sad, mad, excited, surprised, confused. I probably know them off by heart. The paper bag princess is brave, things like that. And he honestly, he asks to read it almost every single day at bedtime. And we go through it and I'll say, so where, was there a time today when you felt surprised? And then he'll talk about what happened. Um, we've started learning to stop asking why and start mm -hmm. saying what happened because when they're six, they don't really have that rational part of their brain kicking in yet right. where they can answer why. Um, and when it's, when it's me having a big, uh, a hard day or some big emotions, I'll, I'll just say, you know what? I feel mad right now mm -hmm. and I'm allowed to feel mad right now. Yep. So it's, I approach it very much from like a giving permission kind of angle and a normalizing it kind of angle. So I'll say, I feel mad. When was the last time you felt mad? What happened to make you feel mad? And then we'll start having a, a conversation and then it'll be a, yeah, you were right to feel that way. So that he knows that they're not bad emotions. They're normal everyday human being emotions. Right. But it's what we do with it afterwards and where that emotion is stemming from that will determine how it gets processed in our brain and right. whether our brain starts reading it as a trauma. So we've been, we've been trying to, to approach it that way with our 10 year old. It's a lot more of those deeper conversations that you have with your old, your older one. Um, he's so much more mature than 10. 
that he, he's totally fine. Like he'll start talking about like substance abuse and, you know, like systemic racism and like, like these big topics that a 10 year old typically isn't talking about. My nine year olds do too. And they go oh my gosh. about it. And I find it so, I'm like, I'm doing a good job here. Like, I'm yes, you, yes. It. Pat yourself on the back because like, it's, <laughs> It's the parents that normalize it and give the permission to have these conversations and to not, um, obviously in the age appropriate words in terms of like sadness, depression, because kids aren't going to always understand those intricacies. Um, but just having the open dialogue with them that, Hey, this happened. So one of the, actually, one of the tipping points for me is while I was going through therapy with my psychologist, um, I journaled a lot and my journaling looks like poetry and I strung a bunch of those poems together and I wrote a book and now my kids like see it in our house and they'll be like a published book or it is yeah what's the name of it it's called the years of breaking where can people get it uh you can get it on amazon okay um you can get it at barnes and noble in the states you can get it at waterstones in the uk I'll link it up in the show notes. So people yeah, there's, it's, it's pretty widely accessible. Um, it is heavy content because it's all about the moments that broke me. Right. And Mike, like it's, it's been kind of like a stepping stone to have those bigger conversations with our kids to say, yeah, m- mommy's gone to some pretty dark places before in her mm-hmm. brain. And, you know, after I had our, our oldest postpartum psychosis set in. So saying to him like, yeah, sometimes when moms have babies, something in their brain doesn't quite work because of all of these different hormonal shifts and explaining how that works in the body with actual like anatomical terms, they either like tune it out because the terms are so big that they're just like, whatever, (laughs) it's fine. Or they're really interested and they want to know more. And they start asking those bigger questions like, well, what happened to make you feel that way? And you know, did that mean that you didn't love me? And, you know, trying to just have a bigger conversation that just because there's something going on inside the brain, it doesn't make you a bad person. And it doesn't make you any less valuable or less worthy of living a life. Yeah. Yeah. As somebody who literally, I I, I don't remember when I started feeling depressed. I remember just feeling depression since a child. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember what year it started, I just always remember feeling depression. And so when I had my kids, it was just like, oh, I've been here before. Like, you know, like postpartum for me was just, I I just would go severely depressed, but I've been there before. So I didn't link it to hormonal shifts or like having to take care of babies or last ones, babies. Yeah. And being overwhelmed because my husband's uh, job frequently takes him away. And so mm-hmm. he wasn't always around to help with the babies. Um, and at that time I had a toddler and two babies and the older Oof. one was, she was older. She was able to help a little bit, but she's still a child. She still yeah. couldn't like do all the, and it wasn't her place to do all the things. Right. You know? Right. I've always tried to, you know, treat my, treat her, even though she's older, like it's, you didn't choose to have these kids. I chose to have these kids. So yeah. like, if you want an allowance, you can watch these kids, but 
Um, I'm, I'm definitely not one of those parents that's like, well, it's your place to watch your siblings. No, definitely not. So I never um, thought about those things. But of course, at that point in time, I'd had gotten, I had gotten into these unhealthy habits of mm. dealing with it. So like right. this was before I got into therapy and everything. So I'd binge eat or I would drink mm-hmm. a lot or I would do all these things that I'm like, well, these help me feel better temporarily. Right. Right. Um, so that's how I coped with it. And, you know, I didn't know about postpartum because nobody talks about it. No, like, nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. And and I was just like, oh, okay. So when I was very se- severely depressed after my children, that was probably my bipolar and postpartum magnified by. Yeah. Yeah. Totally is. And people don't talk about what makes them feel uncomfortable. So society's kind of conditioned us that it's good vibes all the time. And like, let's just be happy and whatnot. And like, that doesn't negate that the hard stuff still happens. Yeah. Right. It doesn't negate all of the people that have led a life built on foundations of trauma and, and their need to be able to normalize it and talk about it openly and share their story without being faced with this like doubtful speculation, accusatory type response, because it makes people feel uncomfortable when we do start talking about it. So for anybody who's listening, who's been through trauma as somebody who has been through trauma and has healed, what would be some things that you would recommend that have helped you? Again, we've talked about, it's not, one size fits all, you know, uh, what helps you may not help me. Right. Um, but we may have overlaps like, uh, meditation. Yes. Um, you know, meditation, I love headspace. That's what I use (laughs) in yoga. It helps me a lot, you know, getting enough sleep, that sort of thing. But what things help you? What, what would you tell somebody who has been through trauma? What has helped you the most? Um, So what's helped me the most, again, like you said, healing isn't linear. It's not a one size fits all pattern. Um, Some people do really well with medication and CBT talk therapy. Some people like me, I knew that sitting in a counselor's office and rehashing what had happened over and over Mm -hmm. and over until I was finally okay to tell the story probably wasn't going to be the the most useful or helpful tool for me. So what I found was best for me was going to a naturopath and starting on um, natural remedies to help the brain. So um, we did adrenal support because that's where your stress hormones are held. We did reproductive support because when your adrenals are messed up, they often steal from the reproductive hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did the acupuncture associated with mental health and trauma responses. That lessened the symptoms of trauma, the anxiety, the depression, the hypervigilance enough that I could start with a psychologist. And what we did was EMDR. Yes. I've been doing that with my new therapist. I spent years working on this shit and the EMD, well, we've had to pause it because of COVID, but, um, yeah, I spent years working on this shit and then I get an EMDR and I'm like, Oh, this is great. It's it is life-changing. I, I was like, I was able to undo so much trauma and because of the way that trauma happens and it gets compartmentalized in your brain, if there are two things that kind of mimic each other, one EMDR session will actually heal them both. Yes. So my relationship with my mom has always been very um, traumatic, very chaotic because she can't show up for me in an emotional capacity. Right. 
but that friend that I was a wing woman for also couldn't show up for me in an emotional capacity. So doing an EMDR session where we did some inner child work and I went back to the site of the original trauma and was able to actually like visualize taking my younger self by the hand, Mm -hmm. taking her out of the house, burning the house down, sitting there and watching it be on fire and saying to her, you don't need to go back there anymore. Right. It healed up both of those things. It was so empowering. It's hard. Oh yeah. Hard. Cause you're literally replaying the trauma in your head. Yes. But you're doing it almost like it's a movie screen or you're sitting looking outside of a window that you're watching it happen, but you're not actively engaged in it happening again. Right. So I found I found it was super empowering. It was exhausting. I would come home and just like sleep on the couch. We had just gotten a rescue dog from Southwestern Kentucky. And he was like my buddy, my therapy dog. He's this big lab pit bull cross kind of thing. Big muscular 70 pounds of, of dog, like a weighted blanket basically. So the, the EMDR was, was huge. And I spread out my appointments um, bi-weekly with my psychologist because I wanted yeah. to give myself that processing time mm-hmm. in between. And I feel like that is so important for people, but it's often something that gets overlooked when you're going through therapy, because you go for that one hour, you make tons of progress. You feel great when you leave, or there's, you feel heavy because you've processed so much and then it stops. And nobody follows up with you. And then you go back and you do a little bit more, but it's, it takes so long to get through the things. Mm -hmm. So I spread my appointments out bi-weekly so that I could do the journaling. I could do the writing. I could get off my chest, whatever needed to be processed and gotten out. And then it breathed way into this beautiful narrative that is poetry now, which is kind of amazing. Um, yeah. I, I swear by EMDR. I love it. I, I wish I, uh, COVID yeah. was not a thing so I could go back in, I know. My, in I my know. therapist's office because it doesn't really work over the computer. You really No. Can't. And I, I get really distracted when I, when we tried it with the bilateral stimulation with me following her fingers back and forth. And it just, I get too distracted with all the li- little right. knickknacky things around her office. So she actually has vibrating pads yeah, mine does too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. You're the first person I've talked to that's like, yeah, I totally know what that is. Yeah. I found it was so much more helpful to have them vibrating alternatively back and forth than to be watching something because I could close my eyes and almost go into that meditative state. Right. And feel safe to do that. And it also kind of took the personal element out of, I didn't have to be looking at a person to recall these memories and then go there to heal them. Yeah. Mine yeah. um, has the lights that go back and forth yeah. and the little things that go in your hands that vibrate yeah. back and forth. Um, it's great. I love it. And I miss it. I even know healing is so hard. Like you said, it's exhausting. Yeah. But you feel so much better. Yes. After. Like after you've processed through it, you're like, oh my gosh, I can think some, I can think about this thing and be okay. Yes. Like the something session, come up. Yeah. The first session we did was my dad's death and how I found Mm -hmm. out that he had died. And it's been, it's been the like replaying nightmare that has played in my head for 14 years. And when we did that session, I immediately could think of how I found out and it was fine. Yeah. And I was like, 
I'm not having nightmares about like him being kidnapped and taken away and held hostage and then being killed and like all of these like really, really aggressive things. Um, I can watch shows like Peaky Blinders and it's not triggering anymore. I can, I can, I can be a human being again. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah. There's amazing. We only worked through a small little section before COVID hit because we had to stabilize me first. Right. Yeah. I moved to Connecticut last year and it sent me into a tailspin. Sure. And then I saw this psychiatric nurse practitioner who was off her freaking rocker and put me on all these meds that made me like a zombie. I couldn't function. Um, and then took me off the, all the extra meds and just had to like stabilize my original medication. And finally I got stabled only a couple months before COVID hit. And we had just started EMDR and gotten through a few things that like, it was great. And then I'm just like, Oh shit. (laughs) <laughs> now I don't know when she's going to open up her office. Yeah. Like we do the chats and the, and it's great, it's different though. but it's different. And it, yeah. I mean, it, hel- it helps to have somebody to talk to, but I'm, she's like, Oh, we need to process through this. I'm like, yeah, we do. Like, <laughs> yeah, please open your office again. <laughs> so- right. Like I've been, I've been, um, seeing clients since March. So really like beginning of pandemic for, for us in Canada, um, in a holistic sense. So doing writing therapy, art therapy, and, um, meditation, guided visualization, that kind of thing. Um, helping through trauma and anxieties and just emotional regulation and and vulnerability, giving really this, like creating a sense of safety within yourself so that you can discover these things. Mm -hmm. And it's so different having to sit and, and do it in a virtual platform. I'm thankful that we get to be able to do right. these virtual platforms for Same. sure, but having somebody in your actual office and being able to lead them through something and, and give that, that added element of nurturing and compassion to them, mm-hmm. knowing that they're going through and processing some really hard stuff. It's just different, it but is. It, it, it is what it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thankful for the virtual too, because my son sees his therapist. I see mm-hmm. my therapist, my psychiatrist, my daughter's psychiatrist, my <laughs> son's psychiatrist. <laughs> so we have all these things and thank goodness yeah. we have this. So you didn't, nobody had to shut down the whole thing. Right. right. But it, it just sucks not being able to be in person and, you know, possibly having to move again next year um, and find another person who does EMDR. Yeah. So but now that I know it and now that I know what it can yeah. do, I was like, it's a game changer. What a couple years of me going through that will have done yeah. for me. I would, I'll be a completely different person. So yeah. anyways, <laughs> what I, I could talk to you forever. Cause I'm like, yes, me too. <laughs> um, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with, um, as we wrap up everything? Um, I think the biggest thing is, is being honest with yourself about what you've been through and kind of, kind of looking at society and saying, you know what, screw you, because I've been through these things. I feel these things and none of them are wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong to feel angry or feel sad about what your experience has been, but it is on you to take responsibility, to do the work to get to the other side. 
nobody else is going to do that healing work for you. But maybe, just maybe, if you take one step, you'll get a little bit closer there. Yes. Sometimes it takes a full breaking down. Sometimes mm-hmm. it takes really one person to look at you and say, hey, you know you have PTSD, right? For you to get on that journey. But the journey is yours and nobody else gets to determine what that looks like or right. how it feels for you to get to the other side. But the only person who can do the work is you. Yes. Yes. And I always say that. I said, I say a mental illness is not an excuse to be an asshole. <laughs> because, um, yep. I feel like it's up to us to do the work to heal that. Mm-hmm. And I say that, I say that, that phrase from a place of, I have a parent who consistently hurts me um, because they have trauma and issues they refuse to go and work on. And I, and I said, it's my mom. And I said to her, I cannot have a relationship with you until you go and and do the work and you see a therapist, because otherwise we're just going to do the cycle. You're going to keep hurting me because I'm the person you take that out on. I'm the person she blames for all the things. Right. And because she had me at a very young age. And so I, t- I had to set that boundary and say, no, until you see a therapist, you cannot be in my life because mm. this, you keep hurting me. And so that's why I say a mental illness is not an excuse to be an asshole. Um, because I feel like at a certain point in time, you got to take control of your life and say, Absolutely. I'm going to do the work. And my mom, I'm 34. So my mom's 52, I think. I'm like, after 52 years and multiple times having to go into therapy because you're forced into therapy because of mm-hmm. things you've done. Yep. At that point in time, you have to say, I need to get some help. Yeah. And so I, 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 that was just going off what you said. People really just need to, to get the help and do the work and it sucks and it's hard, but you feel so much better afterwards. There's so much life out there on the other side of the trauma. I didn't even know what this life was going to look like. I didn't, I didn't even know that it existed. Yeah. But then I got there and it's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing in life. This is right. how it's supposed to feel. Like, like you said at the beginning when like waking up that moment and being like, oh, this is the deserving relationship I'm supposed to be having. Like it's, it makes you take a step back when you know that that healing kind of clicks. Right. That you're allowed to enjoy moments at the park with your kids and not be like on the lookout for the bad thing that's going to happen. And you're allowed to go to bed at night and not be listening to all the sounds happening in your house, catastrophizing it. Right. You're allowed to get through it and live life on the other side of it. And it's a beautiful frigging life on the other side of it. Yes. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.